listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I'm Ethan Shutt, joined by Philip Russell, and we are coming at you right after a much, much needed Game 5. I can at least say for my personal sanity, and I know uh, that of others as well. Philip, not only do the Suns win, they win big. 110 to 80 at home. Vibes were immaculate. Chippy crap at the end between the dudes who had been waiting for 46 minutes to check in. It was a lot of stuff that I love to see. How are you feeling coming straight off of game five? And I also, before I let you let you answer that, I want to crack open a cold one. And uh, an Ethan Shutt cold one is a fresca. But that's a celebratory fresca after a beautiful game five. I'm going to sit here and drink this and enjoy. Tell me your thoughts, my man. All right. Full disclosure. I turned the game off early. I thought I thought everything was done. There were 24 seconds left. I thought they were going to dribble it out. And then I see on Twitter, someone got ejected from the game. And Oops. it was Phoenix Suns' former superstar, Marquise Chris. What a, what a time to be baby. alive. What a time to be alive. So I don't have many takes on that because I haven't seen it, nor am I particularly interested in it. It just does pour a little bit of salt in the wound when there you was, got the. There was almost a tunnel kerfuffle. I love it. I love, love it. it. They it allowed the Suns to get the lead up to 30, 30 point win. We love to see it. That was a very fun game. That was a very Phoenix Suns basketball game from a lot of different perspectives. And I'm going to keep myself reined in right now and say I had a lot of fun. I'm very excited to dig into it with you. It. This was really needed in terms of just, I think the fan base needed needed to decompress a bit. Uh, we saw some, some very bold and loud takes from all corners of the fan base about this game. Uh, it started off the, uh, the godfather of the bright side himself, Dave King, throwing a little, this could be the last home game of the season. Just nice, nice big old pit in my in my stomach going into it. Like the vibes going into tonight were not good. There were a lot more folks saying this is do or die with a more negative spin than those that say the Suns are going to right the ship. So I personally am thrilled that we are able to hop on the mics following this game. Happy to talk about not just a good result but a good a good game that brought about those good results and good changes that were made. And that's big for me. The ability to see that change happened, change was needed, and it brought about the results that we wanted to see. So I am I am thrilled. Uh I'm already appreciating some of the uh Shamit and Biombo love in the comments here on YouTube. I uh personally I'm very excited to talk about both of those players as we talk about what changed. But we're going to go ahead and start. I think we started this a couple episodes ago. I, I like it as the guy who enjoys finding a reason to talk about numbers wherever he can find them. Uh, our statistical storylines, which are, it, it's a fun thing to say really fast there, our statistical storylines, looking at the numbers, uh, a quick glance as to say, what can we read off of this box score? 
How does it match up to the eye test and what can we take away from it? Uh, so Philip, I'm going to turn it over to you first. Got the box score in front of you here. What's jumping out to you as you look at game five? The Suns won every major statistical category that you would want them to win, except one. And it's free throws, which as Phoenix Suns fans, we don't expect to win the free throw battle many many games so let's just run through it field goal attempts plus 16 87 field goal attempts for the suns 71 for the Mavs. you look at the free throw attempts and you go okay that evens itself out just a bit where the mavericks i don't have the box score pulled up in front of me i think they were plus 11 attempts yeah plus 11 for the Mavs. so you think like bring that down to five you're getting basically 10 additional shots 10 additional possessions from those additional field goal attempts when you factor in the free throws that's awesome more shots more points statistically that's how the cookie crumbles plus four turnovers plus four turnovers plus four turnovers leads to the plus 16 field goal attempts and plus six on the offensive rebounds so everything everything was working to get the suns additional opportunities in this game which is fantastic yeah the field goal attempts jumped out to me and that was just I don't think that's a normal thing for me to look at so quickly on a box score given a regular game let alone a regular series but the discrepancy in field goal attempts was pretty staggering up until now and a lot of that comes back to two things we've talked about either losing the rebounding battle or really getting beat in the turnover department And so to see the Suns put up 87 to the Mavs 71 uh, is great. And I want to go even simpler, if you don't mind. Uh, If you look at the top of your box score, and it might be different on yours where it's located, but it says Phoenix 110 and Dallas 80. I'm going to start right there. Like the Suns just held Dallas to 80 points. Like that is a big deal. That was needed after we watched in game four. The entire, uh, I don't, I don't know what a group of Mavericks would be. I was thinking herd, uh, a, a, a gaggle of stallions. I'm not sure, but they were all on it. Like it was a group effort. Everyone was kind of hitting. And I got to admit, Philip as my witness here, when the game started and Dorian Finney Smith hit a couple early shots, I was like, oh crap. Like, is this just going to carry over from game four? And I got a little scared, but but it righted. And let's go ahead and talk about something big here. And that is one of the most, I don't know, there's been a lot of great quarters for the Suns this season. But the third quarter, 33 to 14. Again, we don't get to rewatch this. We're trying to take notes and take it in and also just enjoy it as basketball fans. What stood out to you about that third quarter? Because that's really where this thing got kicked open. The Suns were up three at halftime, and that was their largest lead of the game. They got a lead early, gave it up, didn't regain it till the tail end of the second, and then the third quarter, the explosion happened. Uh, What was it to you that stood out the most in that third quarter? The Suns were ready for the Mavericks to blitz Booker. 
he was getting rid of the ball really quickly at the beginning of the third quarter. And he had a couple really good shots too. But when they would blitz, he would get rid of the ball. Jay, especially at the beginning of the third, would go downhill, find someone in the corner. And what that did was it extended the defense out so much that DA got a couple big offensive rebounds at the beginning of that. And then on the defensive end, the Suns were able to switch or not, not switch. Sorry. The Suns were able to find this balance between dropping on Luca and then getting out when he was about to pull up from three. And I thought DA and McHale were brilliant in that third quarter. So what Jason Kidd did is he got in Kleba pretty quickly, but I think he sat at the scorer's table for maybe a minute or a minute and a half of game time. And that was as the sun started their, their run. Because what happens when Kleba comes in the game is it's not, it's not as clean of a drop and recover because he can be such a, such a good shooter. So really good offense, really good team offense, along with Devin Booker's individual brilliance, and then making life really difficult on the Mavericks. I, I might be off on this stat. I was trying to pull it up while, while you were finishing up. I'm pretty sure the stat they showed on the screen was in the third quarter. I think the Mavs had 13 points and 12 turnovers or 11 turnovers. Wow. It was it was something to where it jumped out at me, and I'm, I'm going to have to fact check that. Uh, anyone in our comments here who wants to hop on that, feel free. But the Suns' defense just turned it up a notch after halftime. In the third quarter, the Mavs shot 6 of 15, including only, I think they were 1 of 7 from 3, 1 of 8 maybe in that quarter. And then the Suns were 13 of 24. And the thing is, they didn't they didn't go crazy from 3. To your point, they capitalized the space that was being given to them. So if you look at that shot chart, it's a, it's a lot right at the elbow. It's a lot right at the rim. They were taking full advantage of what was being given to them. And that's what we've been needing this whole time. Assess the matchup and take advantage of it. Because I think we said this going into the series. We said this after game one and two. If you put these teams next to each other and you're looking for mismatches, the Suns have just so many more opportunities to take advantage of the Mavs. Yes, the Mavs putting out their best five could put up a fight, but when those rotations start, you can start hunting those mismatches. In that third quarter, it was just a whole lot of that for me, and that was that was kind of the game. We've talked about getting that getting that deficit that the other team just can't scratch their way back from. That third quarter didn't waste any time getting us there. Yeah, so two more, two more statistical storylines before we can move on to something else. Just to reiterate what you just said, three-pointers were plus four for the Suns. The Suns made 12 three-pointers. The Mavericks only made eight. Now, Suns fans, if you remember, the Mavs made eight three-pointers in the first quarter in game four. In a single quarter, and the Suns held them to eight three-pointers for the entire game. That's huge. The Mavericks also got up 44 three-pointers. I think they went 20 of 44 in game four. If I'm calling it off the top of my head. So it was something right around there. 20 of 44. The Mavericks only got up 32 this game. So better perimeter defense. And something that we'll, we'll probably talk about as we move forward. Luka did not... 20 of 44. Well done, did sir. not look comfortable when he had to 
drive in on the Suns' defense, and he was making some really difficult passes that the Suns started sitting on when he was driving in on DA, trying to kick over the defense to the opposite corner, making some really tough shots. So the Mavericks weren't getting as open of looks as they got in game four. The other one that I want to say that's related to that, plus 19 assists. Suns with 28 assists, the Mavericks with only nine, which if you simplify it, that means everything was hard for the Mavericks. Everything was hard for the Mavericks. And the Suns were getting at least some good looks off of off of ball movement i was i was actually going to bring that last stat up um the leading assist getter for the mavericks i'm I'm not going to make you guess who it was can you guess how many assists they had so the guy with the most assists on the team how many did they have nobody was finding people wide open so i'm going to give you a range two or three it's two uh dfs had two brunson had two and luca had two that's it and those three guys make up through those three guys excuse me make up six of their nine and so they're sitting with nine assists total chris paul's sitting at 10 uh and we'll get to him in a minute shamit had four assists laughable sat aaron holiday had three (laughs) which (laughs) given that he was in the game for four minutes is pretty hilarious. Let me let me roll back something. Thank you for bringing that up. Here's what we need to say. In all reality, the Suns matched the Mavericks three-point-wise. I don't think the Mavericks made a three-pointer in garbage time. If they did, I'm just not able to pull it up in my memory right now. So let's just call it even because I think the Suns I can remember two, maybe even three three-pointers in garbage time. Uh, Tori so- hit two in garbage time I think that Aaron I can hit. think of. And I think Aaron hit one. Yeah. So, so okay, that drops we'll call us it, down to about nine, eight or nine. Let's just, let's just call it even after yeah. last game where you were minus 11. So you were minus 33 from the three point line. Massive. What a massive difference. Yeah, no, that's big. Um, and let's, let's move away from the box score and move more onto the, the eye test side of things. What we saw and this is, now, gotta be careful here. No, we don't. We, we make a lot. Hey, we make suggestions all the time as to what we think should happen. It is very rare that what we say happened and that it happens very, very correctly. Uh, but given given that those opportunities don't always come, I'm going to enjoy these ones. Uh, we look at what changed. We look at the adjustments. We look at Monty Williams, one who is sometimes slow to make a change, even if that is to challenge a very obvious play, leading to your star players calling a timeout to force it. Monty sometimes can take his time. That said, we see a lot of changes in game five. So other than Torrey Craig with two threes at the end of the game or an Aaron holiday three at the end of the game, the stats like that, that really don't matter, but I guess they do exist. Let's look at the, the meat and potatoes of the game here. The, what made a difference and let's go ahead and start. Uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to let you call the shot here, man. I think we have two big adjustments, both of which happen to fall in our problem children comments from uh, last episode. Who do you want to start with as we look at uh, what we saw different 
in game five. Landry Shamit. I was so happy to be right, and I was so happy he did it. Here we go. We called it. I just threw it in the YouTube comments if you're here with us live. We tweeted about it on our Twitter account, at the Valley PHX. You can see our response to Game 4 and basically imploring the Suns to play Landry Shamit. Brief recap. Landry Shamit fits better with the Suns right now than campaign does because the Suns are basically staggering Chris Paul and Devin Booker. One of those two is in the game at all times because of that, for reasons you can see if you follow that link that we put in the chat, which it might've gotten blocked because I threw a link. They might've <laughs> blocked me for spamming. Did I, did I block it, us? My bad. It worked. And it worked immediately. Immediately. They had Landry bring it up. They ran one of their normal sets. And then they sent Landry to the baseline and then around a pin down screen. And as he lifted to the wing, Devin Booker drove the ball and got a basket. And it was a very open lane because Landry Shamit has more weight when he's coming around that screen than campaign does. That was huge. Right away, he's causing, he's causing a positive impact. Not to mention then, not to mention then, his, how many was it? Eight points? Eight. Eight points that felt uh, about like 15. Four, four free throw attempts, which is a very big deal. Eight points. He got to the line, two separate occasions, dished out four assists, couple good rebounds, and then the other thing that we hammered the last time, his defense, his one-on-one defense was good. It was good. He is stronger. He's a more capable defender than campaign is. And Landry Shamit played some really good defense. Did he get scored on a couple times by Brunson and Luca? Yes. Doesn't matter. No, those guys are going to put up numbers. They're going to get shots. Cam Johnson and Landry Shamit played exceptional defense. They were great tonight. We called it. We're taking a victory lap because it made so much sense and it was so obvious tonight that Monty pushed the button and it was like oh yeah it was that was an obvious an obvious adjustment to make so one thing too that I wanted to say when it comes to his defensive ability I think what I had focused on a lot were were his feet uh we've talked about that a lot his ability to stay in front his ability to move his physicality has impressed me a lot. Like if I'm if I'm going to say there's something that I didn't quite pick up on, I've been really impressed with his on-ball strength to allow him to stay where he needs to and continue moving. But one thing I didn't realize too, and again, this this could be misinformation. This could be fake news here. But looking at the internet, which I have been taught to trust all the time, no matter what, Landry is clocking in at what height, Philip? What height do you think is old Landry Shaman? Six three, six four. So Landry is six four. Follow up question: What do you think is his wingspan? Oh, his wingspan? Wingspan. This is this was the thing that I noticed tonight and had to look up. This is not my, my not fun memeing. number for the day. I'm not memeing with this. I think it's probably like six nine, six eight. 
it's six, seven and a half. That is that is some good length paired with some very quick feet. Like that makes sense. Like that makes the eye test make sense when you're looking at what he's doing on defense because it's not just staying in front. It's also blocking off passing lanes. Like he does a great job of being annoying and it's not in the Patrick Beverly, Alvarado, even holiday at the end of the game, annoying where it's the, the aggressive bump, the aggressive crowding. It's just, this guy's not letting me get to my spot or make an easy play. And so his defense, which I went on a slightly impassioned rant last episode, I will not rehash that his defense jumped out again today. It is not an accident. This isn't some small sample size thing. Defensively, he is a plus, especially if you're comparing it to who he's replacing. I do not want to spend an episode slandering who isn't out there, but that's a plus. And then to your point, offensively, he just can do a lot. And what what were your thoughts on the dribbling and the shot creation from Landry? Because that was something, I've said this before, I think if you give him enough time to get confident, you see you see the dial turn up a little bit. And it it feels like he knows he deserves to be out there with four other starting caliber dudes. Did you like what you saw there as well, other than just kind of the space he was creating for others? Because it didn't always fall, but I still like to see that when shot creation is something that we're lacking. By and large, yes, I liked it. I thought he pressed a couple times after he made his after he made his bucket. Uh, I think he made one pull up, and then after that, I thought he was pressing just a bit. But but overall, he was he was so good. He was so good, and we had been again. We had been saying that that is the kind of guy who just fits in better with what the Suns are trying to do. Now let's. We're talking about defense. We're talking about how well Landry played. I I think we need to stop right here and give a huge shout out to another defensive menace. And he is the defensive menace on the Suns, which is one Mikhail Bridges. Do you when, know what his wingspan is? Eight big, foot five. Big. Eight five. Easy. Yeah. Maybe six. He had four steals tonight. Those four steals led to seven points. Three of four, Suns were three of four in transition. Two buckets at the rim, one three-pointer for Booker, and then another Booker miss. Seven points off of his length. It's about as about as That's good awesome. as it gets from Mikhail. And, and then additionally, he and DA, this was, man, this might have been last year, middle of the season. Brought up a point about Mikhail. I said that Mikhail and DA's pick and roll defense, they're inextricably linked. So goes one, so goes the other. And tonight, they were on it. They Mm -hmm. did a great, great job as a pair. And then Mikhail with his length was just in the passing lane so frequently tonight. I'm really proud of Mikhail. I thought he had a couple of not Mikhail-esque games in Dallas and he bounced back in a big way his shooting he shot six of 13 I think if I'm remembering correctly from the field yeah six of 13 for 14 points but dude is a plus 23 
And two of two of five from three too, yeah. which was which was needed. No, I I think what's funny is after having games where I feel like we got a lot of zeros from a lot of folks, except for Jay Crowder. Uh, Jay took a night off, and luckily everyone else took care of business. Even Chris Paul offensively, seven points, not what we've come to expect. But the big ten assists are huge. Uh, it. <laughs> It was a really good game from a lot of players without anyone having a kind of takeover mentality. Like I think DA had a a reasonably quiet 20 points. DA, I think the last two nights was at 14 and 16. That's off the top of my head. So I could be way off, but I, I remember he didn't quite get to that 18 mark that I think was his over under, uh, in Vegas for some reason. I know that, uh, the 20 was big. To, to see that and also to see him be able to produce some big offensive boards. I think he had three or four tonight as a part of his nine rebounds. That was just big. Like there was a lot of big stuff there. And speaking of big, we also saw a big change to the bigs. And if I would have told you that at the end of game five, DeAndre Ayton would play 22 minutes and another center would play 21 minutes. I'm guessing you would have thought, well, JaVale had to step in big time tonight. And if you thought that, you would be wrong. Because this is a mini victory lap. Is there some sort of like a, is there a word for a victory lap, but not quite as big? I I threw out after the last game, and it helped having the rewatch, I will say. I don't think I would have come to this conclusion in the I'm very upset game four mentality. But Bismack's perimeter defense was just so much better than what the Suns were getting from any version of a small ball five or JaVale. And offensively, he was doing enough to maintain the offensive production of JaVale. So it just made sense for me. And I think we talked, and I think your your version of kind of that suggestion was maybe flip JaVale in Busy's minutes, like instead of five and 10, do 10 and five, something like that. The Suns, Bismack was the first center off the bench. Aiton gets in foul trouble. They keep rolling with him, and he ends up at a plus 20. A plus 20 for Bismack in his 21 minutes. Uh, What a fantastic game for him. He seems like a wonderful guy in general. So uh, as we go on our our victory sprint, as the uh, comments here are suggesting we call it, what was it about Bismack's performance tonight that you thought uh, one maybe led Monty to making that decision on the front end? Uh, but then what did Bismack do to prove Monty right and keep himself out there for those 21 minutes? I think it's just the defensive capability on the perimeter. It's, it's huge where you don't feel, you don't feel good as a Suns fan, when you see Busy get on a guy like Luca, But I also don't feel helpless right. when that happens. I don't feel helpless when Busy's having to close to a guy like Kleba. I don't feel helpless when he's closing to Bertans, Bertans, however you say his last name. You feel okay, which is very different from how you feel about JaVale, specifically, specifically about JaVale closing out and getting put into rotation javelin rotation just isn't it and i can't remember maybe it was you or ryan 
Someone, someone, I saw a tweet that said, Bismack's defense brings more to the table than JaVale's offense. Right. So like the gap, the gap between JaVale's defense and Busy's defense is greater. It's more impactful than the gap between JaVale's offense and Busy's offense. And I think that's insightful tonight. And I think it's especially insightful on a good Booker night. When Booker's getting to his spots, when he's shooting with confidence and making over the defense quite a bit, you don't necessarily need that the rim running threat and even the floater threat that JaVale that JaVale brings. So because of his defense, he was he was the guy to call upon and he played so well. But then, but then, even bigger picture story of the game. DA only played 22 minutes mm-hmm. tonight. 22 and change. Mikhail only played 33 minutes. Jay, hopefully he's okay, played 26. Booker, 35. Chris Paul, 34. Which means, which means you can go for a knockout punch on Thursday with your best lineups. You find something that's working. You find something with your starters, and those starters are going to go for it. They're going to go for a knockout blow on Thursday because I think they found quite a bit that works and I think they found the right buttons to push with the guys off the bench who are going to be playing in a limited role yeah the Jay Crowder thing definitely concerns me on first watch it looked looked like a stinger it looked bad not horrible horrible the way he carried himself to the tunnel and back to the locker room had that kind of like that leaned limp that a lot of the times you'll see in a dislocation. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you asked me about how that would impact a football player getting back on the field, I've seen a lot of dislocated shoulders in football to give you a decent idea of what might happen after coming out of the tent. I don't know in basketball. I'm not sure what that timeline looks like, so I'm not really going to speculate and say much, but I hope he comes back soon. He played 27 quiet minutes uh, and foul trouble being a big part. He actually fouled out on the play that he got hurt, which just kind of sucks. It definitely was a foul, uh, but it is it is a bummer there. I hope he's back and healthy, but I will say I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't there come Thursday. And so I did want to pose the question, and I'm putting you on the spot, so I apologize about that. If Jay is out Thursday, and we don't have to go super in the weeds here, who do you expect to see in the starting rotation? And do you think that will have a, a bigger impact than some might think just because of the the defensive abilities on Luka that Jay was helping out with? Cam Johnson starts. There's no question. That's what I was thinking, too. He plays a lot. Uh huh. Landry plays a little bit more than he did tonight. Yep. And then some combo of Ish and Tori. I could see it. I, if I'm not mistaken, Monty went to Ish early fourth. He yeah. Right? So so the thing that happened was in the third, Jay picked up his fourth, it, which meant Cam Johnson needed to come in a little yeah. bit early, and then the wing rotations were a little wonky in the fourth. So Ish kind of came in as a stopgap for just a couple minutes before I think Cam came back in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm curious. Again, we don't we don't know. I just think it's it's interesting to at least get some thoughts out there in case come Thursday night we are talking about what that looked like. Um, but yeah, I think I think we kind of covered every bit of what changed. I in re-listening to our last podcast as I was going through the editing process, I think I was, we were so concerned about the problem areas and what wasn't working. We hardly talked about Devin Booker's performance in game four, which was phenomenal. And game five book went 11 of 20 from the field, three of seven from three, which right now, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's shooting over 50% from three in the playoffs or very close to it. And he finished with 28 points and a plus 25, a game high for the Suns. A lot of stuff is going around in Suns world in terms of rotations and who's guarding who just wanted to give a little love to Devin Booker. Like you need that constant. I never would have imagined three Chris Paul games like this in a row. And not to say tonight was a bad performance, but seven points, 10 assists, four turnovers is not a performance you would expect out of Chris Paul in a 30 point win. So I think it just, Louder and louder for the folks in the back. Devin Booker is playing fantastic. And the ability to turn it on so quick and get in rhythm so quick to get your team as a whole off on the right foot, I just don't think that can be, you know, undersold. Like, that's just so valuable. So anything anything book-related that's really jumped out to you other than the fact that he is just really, really good at shooting the basketball. I love his rebounding. I love seven rebounds from from Booker. I thought he did a lot of really good stuff tonight. Luca and really the whole Mavericks team started the game really well. And Booker, not single-handedly, but nearly single-handedly, kept the Suns within a reasonable margin. The fact that it was a, I think it was a, what, a three-point game? I don't have it pulled up in front of me. I think oh. it was 26-23 at the end of the first quarter. That was huge. Yeah, and I, think, I, think was, I think it was down three at the first, and then we were up yeah. three at half, I think. Yep. And a huge chunk of that is Devin Booker yeah. getting himself established, making a couple really difficult shots in the first quarter. He is, plain and simple, the best player on the best team in the NBA. I think people will figure that out eventually. I still think there's a, a, a large, a large group of NBA fans that haven't quite realized that he plays defense and is actually doing it quite well. And so he doesn't get the credit or the love that he deserves for being an actual two way star on a very good team. But more games like this, I think it's going to be harder and harder to say it. Otherwise, um, and last note, you mentioned the Mavs winning 26-23 in the first quarter. Their points by quarter, 26-20-14-20. That's phenomenal, man. Like, that is really, 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 really good, good basketball from the Suns. So anyway, game five. It is gum and gone. It's great. I love a 30-point win. But we look to game six. Game six, Thursday, 8.30 Central Time. 
in Dallas. Um, I don't know exactly who's going to be in the stands, but I at least know one kid won't be. Hey, oh, got him. That's all that I'm going to do. That's all I'll do about roasting a 19 year old kid. He's got he's got plenty of other decisions to make in his life to make up for that one. But Suns go back to Dallas for Game Six. It's clo- it's a closeout game. If you had to predict what you think we're going to see, how does Game Six look to you from right here? I'm ready for Chris Paul to be Chris Paul again. Oh, that'd be nice. And I think he is cold blooded enough to do it. I I imagine I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot my shot. Twenty point double double for CP three on Thursday. I think he's at least twenty and ten. I think he's gonna get to his spots. He was getting to his spots early tonight. He, he just wasn't, wasn't shooting. Wasn't shooting it. I'm know? I'm expecting a hefty, hefty helping of mid range jumpers from the right elbow from CP three and some because of that then quite a few passes into da to get him open when that happens he's going to be able to splash it out to the wings to mikhail to cam johnson to jay assuming jay is okay and i'm calling it big cp3 game like we've grown accustomed to let's uh let's put the nail in the coffin tonight i think we can see a a book luca battle i could see one of those like Jazz Nuggets Jamal Donovan type games where one of them finishes with 41, one finishes with 40. Uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Devin has has Devin's just done well in in these type of big games and I'd love to see it. But I I agree if I'm talking about who I think needs to be that guy to make the big step up. It would just be nuts for Chris to have four straight lacking games right and again i don't want to poop on tonight's game he wasn't bad but he was not hall of fame point guard chris paul it's got to come back there's no way that just because he turned 37 all of the mojo left but right now that is the story for me in the dumb takes that i don't actually believe in but i think they're hilarious he turned 37 and something just something just went off i want him to find it I want him to figure it out. I would be remiss not to mention that it is a Thursday game. That means that Cam Johnson should be, should be drinking his, his special stuff, getting ready for a, I'm going to say at least 60% from three. That is, that sounds like a lot, but if you're looking at the trends of the season, that actually would be right on average. Um, I would love for a McHale or Cam game. I'd love for one of them to score 20. Like I I want one of them to pop off and have that ultra aggressive mentality. And to your point, I'm curious to see what could happen if the Suns are without Jay Crowder. Uh, I would assume that that gets announced. I don't know. Maybe they hold it close to the chest. I mean, I don't think they want to get fined for 25 grand again, like they did when they kept Booker in uh, his injury and mystery, but, but we'll see. Um, I don't know how we, how are we feeling about game six in terms of uh sons and six, or are we going to seven? What are you thinking? After tonight, I'm pretty confident that the Suns are going to win. Even after a slow start tonight, the Suns handled the maps for throughout the rest of the game. Their sons got good looks, even through a couple of stagnant offensive 
sections of the game, I think I think the Suns handle business ten to fifteen ish point win. Boy, that would make me happy. Well, uh, want to go ahead and say thank you to those that have been watching live, uh, hopping in the comments, and thank you to those that are listening on all the various podcast platforms. It should be up shortly. I am seeing on Twitter that we are already being called out for not having an episode live. Granted, the game ended 40 minutes ago, and we've been recording for 40 minutes, but hey, we can't make everyone happy. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Playoffs have been great. We appreciate all your support. Thank you to the folks at Brightside. Thank you to you all. Uh, For Philip. I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley of Phoenix on the podcast. Yeah.